Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative to this guy for wisdom. Except, of course, it has nothing in common with Ellis Island, except that it has become the singular destination for illegal invaders coming into this country. This is Drew Allen, host of The Drew Allen Show. Welcome back with me, or if you're listening for the first time, welcome for the first time, where I speak more truth in 30 seconds than you'll hear from AOC and the Democratic Party in an entire lifetime. More brilliance in my pinky than the Democrats have in their entire bodies. I think that we should we should transplant the Statue of Liberty, stick it down in Del Rio, and actually, I support bringing back the investigative policies, the immigration policies of the turn of the century late 1800s, early 1900s in Ellis Island. Because if we actually used those strict procedures, well, we wouldn't have this problem at the border. But I want to get into this a little bit, and I actually do want to talk about the history of Ellis Island. Because the left, of course, likes to talk about, what is it, that plaque that had nothing to do with actually the original Statue of Liberty that some... Poets stuck out there later, give us your sick, your poor. This country's never said, give us your sick, your poor. It's actually turned away the sick. And it's only allowed the poor in if they weren't going to be a burden on society. But this is unbelievable what's happened down in Del Rio. We have an encampment of invaders. A foreign horde of invaders that has formed... I think the population of Del Rio is something like 35,000. Nearly 15,000, nearly half the population, legal population of Del Rio, is now encamped, a bunch of illegals there. Can you imagine living in a little town? I mean, let's pick the town I live in. It's got 6,000 people. Imagine at the entry point to my town of 6,000, there's 3,000 people outside demanding entry. What a frightening sight. What we have is an illegal invasion on our hands. I want to be clear about that. An illegal invasion. And this is all intentional, by the way. All intentional. This is not due to incompetence by the Biden administration. This is not coincidental. They are creating this circumstance. These people would not come if they did not know that they had a friendly administration that was going to aid and abet their entry into this country. I don't care what they say, talking points here and there about how, oh, yes, we're working on deporting these people. Nonsense. Nonsense. Now, Haitians are the newest group. You know, a long time ago, it used to be that Mexicans were those illegally seeking entry. But even, I mean, years and years ago, uh, the, the, the Mexican portion of the population that was trying to come over here was surpassed by others in Central America, Guatemala, etc. And then, of course, we're flying in Afghanis, who are not Americans, putting them on our military bases and releasing them into this country as well. It's really good to be anybody today but an American citizen. And that's the truth. While the left in this country assaults the unalienable God-given rights of the American citizen while they grant rights to illegals that do not have them under our constitutional system. But we've got all these Haitians there. And it's remarkable to hear the CNNs and the mainstream media try and explain this away. Explain this away. Now, what's interesting to note, these Haitians... They didn't swim across the water. 
They were actually, they were, well, they were happily ensconced in the poverty-ridden societies throughout Central America. A lot of them are coming here and we're seeing they have identification cards that belong to countries in Central America. So they say, for example, well, a lot of these Haitians, you know, they came from Haiti to Central America in 2010. So for 11 years, they've been living their lives in Central America with documentation. And then all of a sudden today, things got so much worse that they all decided to just at the same time, just happenstance, all flood our borders from 300 to 10,000 in a matter of a day or two. Give me a break. The reality is the situation in Central America never changed. That situation's always been the same. It's been, it was poor 10 years ago. It was poor five years ago. It was poor a year ago. And yet the Haitians were living there. They weren't at our border. But now all of a sudden they're here. What changed? The administration changed. Biden and his administration may say with a wink and a nod, do not come here. But that doesn't matter. They laugh at this because they know because the word is traveling throughout Central America via Mexico. Come on over. They're just blowing smoke. They want you here. And that's why they're doing this. When they know they're not welcome, when they know there's nothing for them here, they don't come because they won't risk the journey if they know it's not worth their time. And that's why it's actually really simple to solve this. The root cause of all of this, which Kamala Harris has been searching in vain for since she was tasked, given this difficult task by Joe Biden, who runs from every task, Well, everyone's searching for the root cause. It's climate change, it's this, it's that. No, no, the root cause is the Democratic Party and many rhinos. The root cause of this immigration happening in Del Rio, the new Ellis Island, is the Democratic Party. Because they have let them know, they have let their voices be heard far and wide, that we want you here and we're going to protect you. And that's what's going on. All right. This is Drew Allen. I'm going to take a really short break here. When we get back, we're going to get, we've got so much to get into today. We're going to get into the indisputable reason that the Biden administration is facilitating, aiding, and abetting illegal invaders. And so much more. I'll be right back. Now, back when America was uh, sane, our sanity was still intact, and people loved America wanted to protect America and wanted America to continue to be on a journey to be the greatest nation in the history of mankind. Well, we wanted immigrants who were going to contribute to society, to become Americans, and to improve America. That's Common sense. It wasn't political as it is today. And I want to put something in perspective. Ellis Island uh, came about in 1892. And in the 62 years that followed, roughly 12 million Immigrants were processed at Ellis Island. Now, we aren't on track since Biden came into office, well, was coronated, was forced down our throats into office without much objection from those that were in positions to object. Well, we're on track to have a million illegals in this country in one year. 62 years for 12 million and one year for a million. Think about that for a second. But now, Ellis Island. Now, think about this. People came over on boats, of course, to Ellis Island. And those who purchased first and second class tickets to get here, they were not required to undergo inspection. Because the thought process was that the affluent, those who could afford a first and and second class ticket well, they were less likely to become a burden on Americans. They weren't going to be on the take. And so back then, we wanted people who could fend for themselves, who had something to offer, 
who were going to bring something with them to contribute to American society. And those, by the way, who didn't purchase first and second class tickets, they were called steerage. And that's what we have in Del Rio. We have something called steerage. Steerage. Those that were in the bottom of the ship, who were oftentimes sick, ill, poor. But even the steerage was given the opportunity to go through Ellis Island, where they were examined by doctors. And not only were they examined by doctors, they had to answer 29 questions. Now, these 29 questions were used by legal inspectors to cross-examine the immigrants during legal inspection. You know, to find out if they were honest, to find out if they'd committed crimes, to find out what was going on between their ears and coming here. They were vetted. No one's vetted today. No one's vetted. It's simply, if you're poor from somewhere else, come on into America. We'll take you in. It's not about America. It's about the illegal immigrant. But more than that, it's about the Democratic Party. Now, we conservatives have known for decades upon decades that the reason for this illegal immigration and amnesty proposed by Democrats is one thing. It's about a permanent underclass, about, well, giving the, expanding their base, giving them more voters. You come over here, you're going to go on welfare, and you're going to vote for Democrats because we're going to give you your $300 a week for the rest of your life. We're going to pay for this and that with taxpayer dollars. We're going to take care of you. It's sinister. But it's in the open now. There is no denying that the reason this is happening is because the Democrats need to expand their voter base. Now, before I get into what the Democrats sneakily tried to do via the reconciliation bill, what they tried to do for context, before I get into this other story, to put all the pieces together for you, well, the Senate par parliamentarian, well, she's technically the parliamentarian of the House of Representatives. Well, the Democrats are seeking to pass this reconciliation bill. And this is the reconciliation bill that will grant, you know, universal pre-K, the Green New Deal, increase our national debt significantly beyond what it is even now. Well, they tried to sneak in a path to citizenship for illegals in this country. And the Senate parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, determined, rightly so, that this provision fell outside the scope of what is allowed in a reconciliation bill. You can't just put in anything you want in a reconciliation bill. And so she was right to do this. But of course, Ilhan Omar called on Schumer and the White House to ignore the Senate parliamentarian. These people will stop at nothing. They don't care about the law. It's just about their own power. Now, Governor Whitmer. Remember Governor Whitmer of Michigan? She's the one who was one of the top despots throughout the pandemic. She was, well, much like the governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, the worst of the worst that implemented mass mandates, uh, draconian lockdowns, doubled down. Meanwhile, she violated her own rules, for example, like the time that she, she told those in Michigan to avoid going to Florida for spring break. And then she chartered a private jet to go to Florida herself. This is who we're dealing with. Kings and queens who rule over us. Rules for thee, not for me. But Democratic Michigan governor, by the way, this is from a Fox News story. And the state legislature there, well, believe it or not, they've agreed on a budget proposal that includes language banning health officials from enforcing mass mandates in schools and preventing state public agencies from enforcing vaccines on employees or customers. Now, this is huge because this is in stark contrast to what's coming out of the Biden administration and the Marxist left. She here is now at odds with the leftist trajectory. This thousand-page budget, well, in one section, here's the, here's the verbiage. The director or local health officer shall not issue or enforce any orders or other directives that require an individual in this state who is under the age of 18 to wear a face mask or face covering. 
So, mask mandates will be left in the hands of school boards and districts, so it's localized. There's not the tyranny that we're seeing at the state level to push these mandates from top down. And she's indicated, Whitmer, that she'll sign the budget in time for the October 1st deadline. Now, this is very strange now, given where she has stood in the past. This is actually opposed to what her previous philosophy, attitude, language, and directives has been. And so Whitmer said in a statement that she's thrilled that the legislature and I, Whitmer, were able to come together to agree on a bipartisan budget. Now, of course, this budget comes after Whitmer. She faced criticism for her handling of the pandemic last year, including all of those strict lockdown orders in the country. But not only that, she's being challenged for her position as governor. Now, this is per the Hill. There's a gentleman named James Craig. Now, he is... James Craig is a former Detroit police chief. Now, in the latest polling, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who's the Democrat, well, she's trailing James Craig by six points in a hypothetical general election matchup. So Craig is leading Whitmer in this polling data. And he's one of nine Republicans vying to oust Whitmer. And so, obviously, based on this polling data, if you believe the polling data is true, well, it's showing that she is not popular. Vaccine mandates are not popular. Draconian lockdowns are not popular in the state of Michigan. And so she's changing her tune. Now, this is significant for a number of reasons, because soon I'm going to play a clip of Bernie Sanders talking about how popular their policies are and what they're trying to do. But again, this is scaring Democrats because it's demonstrating that what they're doing to America over the last nine months and what they've done even before that is not popular in this country. The leftist Marxist agenda of of the Democratic Party is not popular. They're losing their base. And that's why you have the Democratic Party trying to get through, sneak in this path to citizenship for illegals because they need these illegals. They need these illegals to become voters, to reinforce their base, to reinforce those individuals who are fleeing the Democratic Party and who are waking up and saying, I'm not into this. I'm not down with this. I'm not into this Marxism. I'm not into this socialism. I'm not into communism, for goodness sakes. But I want to read you what they tried to do, because this is how sick and sinister the Democrats are. So, I told you what, what, what happened with the Senate parliamentarian saying no on this path to citizenship, putting it in this... Uh, uh, Reconciliation bill. Well, what did Ilhan Omar have to say? This ruling by the parliamentarian is only a recommendation. And she urged Senator Schumer and the White House. She said they can and should ignore it. We can't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do the right thing. Do the right thing. For who? Do the right thing? It's unconstitutional. It's illegal. But for the Democrats... They know no moral bounds. We are facing an enemy that is frightful because they have no boundaries. They have no limitations. The Constitution does not limit them. The Senate parliamentarian and her rulings don't limit them. Nothing limits them. So, that's what this is about. That's what it's always been about. And that's why you have this concerted effort, an uptick in immigration, like illegal immigration, like we've never seen in our lifetimes. And it's only going to continue to get worse. And it's coordinated. Follow the money. That's the question that we need answering. Who is funding the movement of 10,000, 13,000, 14,000 Haitians at one time? 
These people don't wake up in the morning, go out in the streets, knock on doors, and get together and coordinate themselves in a mass that size on their own. It's funded. I mean, if these people are so poor, how can they afford to make the journey to Del Rio, Texas? That's the point. The Democrats are behind this. They always have bad actors organizing these events. And everything is by design. This is Duran. We'll be right back. And we're back. Drew Allen with you for another segment. So I am going to get into this um, Bernie Sanders clip. Now, he was on CBS's Face the Nation. Now, this is from a few days ago. This is before um, the Senate parliamentarian struck down, determined that this, well, provision to include a pathway to citizenship in a reconciliation bill was outside the scope of a reconciliation bill. Now, this is a little bit longer clip, but stay with me. I want you to listen to what Bernie Sanders has to say. I want to hear the back and forth between between him and the interviewer. So I'm going to play that now, and then I'm going to comment. On immigration, I also want to get your reaction to what the Biden administration just said they're doing this weekend, which is to step up deportations, um, particularly of some of these Haitian migrants who have gathered uh, in southern Texas, thousands of them. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has called it inhumane. Do you agree with her? And looking at what you're working on right now on Capitol Hill, do you expect immigration will be tucked into this three and a half trillion dollar spending plan? I hope it will in the sense that right now we have uh, many, many millions of undocumented people in this country, people who are working hard. In fact, people who have maintained this economy, people doing the essential work, uh, something like 11 million people. And I would hope very much, and I think the American people agree, that now is the time, and if we could do it through reconciliation, I'm there, I want to do it, to move toward a path towards citizenship and comprehensive immigration reform uh, through the reconciliation bill. But That's that, my hope. Whether or not that can be done is still going to be decided. I know you say you want it done, but isn't this right. exactly the same kind of social policy that moderates are balking, b- balking at here well, because actually, you're tucking it into a mechanism that even you have said in the past the should truth, just be used for budget and spending. Well, the truth is that when you, because we have no Republican support in trying to pass a significant piece of legislation representing working families, we have to do it through the so-called reconciliation process. So there you have... Uh, Bernie Sanders, a totalitarian, a communist, who echoes the sentiments of Ilhan Omar. He, of course, says, well, you know, we don't have Republicans to vote with us on this. And so since we don't have that, well, we have to go through this reconciliation route. But the reconciliation route, it's a budget bill. You cannot stick in, shove in. Social policies like this that have nothing to do with the budget. But he does not care. He does not care. And this is the point. The Democrats don't have an overwhelming majority, a de facto majority. The American people do not agree with this. But they just want to push it through no matter what. The, the ends justifies the means to these people. Who cares? And here he is acting like this is important for the working class, but not the working class Americans. I mean, this is all smoke and mirrors all the time. Oh, we have to take care of the work. These people are illegal. They broke the law. They shouldn't be here to begin with. And there's no concern for the actual American citizen who is suffering. The American citizen who's going to be suffering job shortages as we import workers. You know, that's what's amazing about this, too. They always act like Americans will never do these jobs. Well, they force the situation in which this is the case. When you import all these people who are going to work for smaller wages, less wages, the democratic policies are creating this crisis. I mean, if you're going to import workers who will do the work for less in terms of wages, 
Well, of course the American citizen who lives here isn't going to have a job. If you're an American citizen who wants 15 an hour or 16 an hour, and that's what the, the company would be forced to pay because that's what the American employee would demand. Well, when you bring in illegal workers who are going to do it for 5 or $6 an hour, you're putting the American citizen out of work. And you're creating an environment in which these businesses don't have to pay a living wage, as they like to call it. And that's the point. It goes back to Marxism. It goes back to rules for radicals. You know, you create the problem, and then you present yourself as that individual uniquely qualified to solve it. They are responsible for all of this. On the one hand, out of one side of their mouth, they complain about wages in this country not being high enough. But on the other hand, they're importing workers who will do the work for those wages. I mean, this is ridiculous and absurd. We need to take care of the American citizen, the American employee, not import cheap labor. And that's why businesses love this. That's why rhinos and certain Republicans support this kind of behavior, because they want cheap labor. They don't want to pay the American citizen what would be required if American citizens were the only ones available to do the work. But I want to play also one more clip from this interview on CBS's Face the Nation with Bernie Sanders, because he can't help himself but, of course, bring up climate change. And don't worry, you're in for a treat because I dismantle the climate change conspiracy theorists like no one else can. I love destroying them, ridiculing them, and making fun of them ad nauseum because those who believe that climate change is man-made are amongst the stupidest individuals who have ever walked this earth. The joke is on them. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, is how it's supposed to go. George Bush didn't say it that way, but George Bush has been always a stupid person as well. But anyway, fool me once, shame on me. No, no, wait, that's what George Bush said. No, so fool me once, uh, uh, shame on, on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And the shame is on the Democrats and climate change conspiracy theorists. But let's, let's play this clip of Bernie Sanders, and then we'll get into it. Now, maybe you can tell me or somebody else can tell me how much we should spend to save the planet. Because what the scientists are telling us is that if we don't get a handle on climate change within the next few years, there will be irreparable damage. And you know what? I got four kids and seven grandchildren, and I think we have a moral responsibility to leave them a planet that is healthy and is habitable. <laughs> we have a moral responsibility. To leave a planet healthy. How about leaving an America that is healthier than we inherited? That is my fundamental goal. Leaving our posterity an America that is better than the one that we inherited. But of course, if the Democrats have their way, America will be destroyed. It will be a long, distant memory in which we look back and say, my goodness, what it was like once in this country, to have been free. Freedom, as Reagan said, is only one, is only is never more than one generation away from extinction. It isn't passed on in the bloodstream. It must be fought for and protected. And that's what we're doing here day in and day out. And that's what you're doing too. Now, before I go through a history of climate change, and you're going to want to stick around and enjoy this. I want to just go back to 2014. I'm going to go back way beyond that to the, the period of uh, the ice age that the climate uh, conspiracy theorists were predicting. But before we go there, I want to go to 2014. This is France's, uh, what is this, foreign minister, I believe it is. Um, the, fo the French foreign minister. That's right. Well, I won't give away uh, what he has to say. I'll let you enjoy it for yourself. And here we go on the edge of a climatic abyss. In fact, we have 500 days to avoid a climate chaos. So back in 2014, we had 500 days to avoid climate chaos. 
but it didn't come. But today is a new day again. Now we have to avoid climate chaos again. Um, now, the climate does change as it has always changed. And it is not due to man. It is due to the fact that the climate changes. The climate does what the climate does. Now, 1967, there is an article in the Los Angeles Times. Dire famine forecast by 1975. It is already too late for the world to avoid a long period of famine. A Stanford University biologist said Thursday, Paul Ehrlich said, The time of famines is upon us and will be at its worst and most disastrous by 1975. Gee, we dodged a bullet. We dodged a bullet. 1969. This is the New York Times. Sunday, August 10th, 1969. Everyone will disappear in a cloud of blue steam by 1989. What are they talking about? Palo Alto, California, August 5th. The trouble with almost all environmental problems, says Paul R. Ehrlich, same as before, the population biologist at Stanford, is that by the time we have enough evidence to convince people you're dead. Is this not convenient, by the way? This is Drew uh, uh, inserting myself here. It's always like this. By the time we have enough evidence to convince people you're dead. So, not very scientific, is it? Do what we say now, because if you don't do it, you'll be dead. Interesting. But then no one died. We're okay. This was back in 1969. Last time I checked, I'm, I, it's 2021. I'm still here. I was born in 1987. Uh, well, whoa! Amazing. A miracle that we're still here. But he says, he goes on in this article, we must realize that unless we are extremely lucky... Everybody will disappear in a cloud of blue steam in 20 years, the 37-year-old scientist said during a coffee break at his laboratory. I don't know if he was drinking coffee. They should have checked his cup. It could have been like some mushrooms. You never know with these 37-year-old professors back then. This was in 1969. He's in California, not far from San Francisco. I would have checked his coffee for drugs. But he said the situation is going to get continuously worse unless we change our behavior gee we didn't change our behavior we're still here last time i checked i didn't disappear in a cloud of blue steam did any of you my parents they didn't either interesting okay and then 1970 all right 1970 so a year later are you ready for this the boston globe this is one of my favorites predicting an ice age by 2000 thursday april 16th 1970 scientist predicts a new ice age by 21st Century. Air pollution may obliterate the sun and cause a new ice age. In the first third of the next century, if population continues to grow and the Earth's resources are consumed at the present rate. Wow, we're still here. We still have resources. James P. Lodge Jr. also warned that if the current rate of increase in electric power generation continues the demands for cooling water will boil dry the entire flow of the rivers and streams of continental united states april 16th 1970 again same well that was that was that uh, let's sorry let me backtrack we got it's hard to keep a time frame here that was april 16th 1970 now we're going to october 6th 1970, Dr. Ehrlich, outspoken ecologist, he says, predicts the oceans will be as dead as Lake Erie in less than a decade. 1980, by the way, 10 years later, guess what happened? Lake Erie still has water and the oceans are not dead. But he also predicted in 1970, America will be subject to water rationing by 1974 and food rationing by 1980. Oh my gosh, another one bites the dust. I got to play that song in the next next uh, pause. Another one bites the dust. So let's go up to, uh, let's see, what is this? Uh, Victor Cohn, he's a Washington Post staff writer. This is 1971, a year later. Dr. S.I. 
Rasul of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in Columbia University says that, I quote, in the next 50 years, the fine dust man constantly puts into the atmosphere by fossil fuel burning could screen out so much sunlight that the average temperature could drop by six degrees. If sustained over several years, five to 10, he estimated such a temperature decrease could be sufficient to trigger an ice age. Where'd the ice age go? I missed that one. Can you imagine how giddy winter apparel, winter apparel brands had to have been back in 1971? They're probably stocking their shelves with ski gear, thinking like, look at this monetary windfall we're going to have because of this new ice age. But they had their dreams crushed, of course, not too far afterwards. So that was the 1970s. Uh, we go to The Guardian, 1974, space satellites show new ice age coming fast. Here we go with the Ice Age. Times? 1974? Another Ice Age? Question marks? Telltale signs are everywhere from the unexpected persistence and thickness of pack ice in the waters around Iceland to the southward migration of a warmth-loving creature like the armadillo from the Midwest. So, since the 1940s, the mean global temperature has dropped about 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Although the figure is at best an estimate, it is supported by other convincing data. Unbelievable. Can you believe that we dodged this, uh, this ice age? And then we've got ozone depletion. Is a great peril to life in 1974. 1976, they're still writing about the cooling. New York Times book review, Stephen Schneider. A young climatologist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, reflecting the consensus of the climatological community in his new book, The Genesis Strategy. His warning that present world food reserves are an insufficient hedge against future famines has been heard among the scientific community for years. Schneider and Bryson tried to explain to a White House policymaking group why conditions are likely to worsen. <sighs> One of the most depressing anecdotes in the book is Schneider's description of the deaf ear their warnings received. Well, thank God everyone ignored their warnings because we were going to be in an ice age. And but for the breathless exhalations of the climatological community spouting their CO2 in the atmosphere, we probably would have frozen to death. But instead, instead, now it's warming. Acid rain kills life in lakes in 1980. Springfield, Virginia, New York. That was from the uh, Noblesville Ledger in Indiana, 1980. But then 10 years later, the U.S. government program formed to study acid rain concluded that acid rain was not an environmental crisis. That's what the study concluded. Gee, another one bites the dust. 1978, no end in sight to 30-year cooling trend. And then... What happens? 1988, Washington, D.C. is over 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Prepare for long, hot summers. A news article reads in 1988, If you like last summer's record temperatures, you're going to love the 1990s, says James Hansen, the NASA scientist who, during congressional hearings on the Midwestern drought, linked greenhouse warming to the heat wave. Washington, D.C., for instance, would go from its current 35 days a year over 90 degrees to 85 days a year. The level of the ocean will rise anywhere from 1 to 6 feet. Unbelievable. So for 20 years, they're predicting an ice age, and now all of a sudden, they're predicting global warming and oceans rising. 1988, they predict the Maldives, those islands, will be completely underwater in 30 years. Well, it's 30 years later, and the Maldives are still not underwater. Rising seas could obliterate nations, UN officials said in 1989. I mean, I, I, I think you get the point already. I know I'm drawn, going on here, but this is what's incredible. I mean, I've literally got an article in, in 2000. 2000. So, 15 years before, even, they're predicting that we're going to be engulfed in snowfall and dead because of an ice age. And then, by 2000, they say children won't know what snow is.
How does anyone take these people seriously? The Pentagon told Bush, remember in 2004, Britain was going to have a Siberian climate by 2020? Well, it's 2021, and Britain still does not have a Siberian climate. Another failed prediction. And on and on it goes. And this has never been about anything. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, what kind of stupid person goes from listening to climatologists who predict an ice age to believing the same people who say we're going to be underwater, even though the predictions fail to come true time and time again. But anyway, we started with 2014. Uh, remember Al Gore, by the way? I got to go back to Al Gore. 2009, Al Gore. He predicted the polar ice caps may disappear by summer of 2014. That didn't happen either. Is this getting boring? Anyway, I started with a French foreign minister. He warned of climate chaos in 500 days if we didn't, you know, I guess, I don't know, do whatever they still want us to do. Well, it's well past 500 days, and we're still here. So anyway, these um, climatologists and the global warming movement, the climate change movement, are a bunch of literally uh, conspiracy theorists. They're idiots. And... Um, Worse, they're cultists. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. This is Drew Allen back with you. Um, you know, the only thing more frightening and startling and shocking than the uh, climate cult is the COVID cult. And I got to tell you, so I, I had seen this article, and during the break I was just trying to find it again so I could read it to you. And I did a Google search. Now, this story I found in, well, it's called FEE. That's the website, F-E-E. -E. Now, I typed in quite literally in a Google search, FEE stories, Harvard epidemiologists, because that's where I found the article earlier today. It did not show up in any of the search results. So then I went to DuckDuckGo. I typed in the exact same search, FEE stories, Harvard epidemiologists, and it was the first hit. Now, this is how Google is working with the Democratic Party and the, uh, well, the propagandists to suppress truth and stories. Now, this guy, per fee, here's the headline. A Harvard epidemiologist says the case for COVID vaccine passports was just demolished. Gee, Google suppressing this story. How about that? What is this about? It's common sense. It's what we've talked about a thousand times already on this program. New research found that natural immunity offers exponentially more protection than COVID-19 vaccines. Now, this is a newly published medical study. Now, the left, of course, they'll say, well, they'll, they'll discredit this doctor. They'll say he doesn't know what he's talking about. This guy is a Harvard epidemiologist. He's one of theirs. Well, in the sense that he has all the accolades uh, that is supposed to be a prerequisite to speaking in society today. You don't have a voice. You're not credible unless you go to Harvard. Well, this guy went to Harvard. He's a Harvard epidemiologist. Now, what did he find? What did this study find? The natural immune protection that develops after a SARS-CoV-2 infection offers considerably more of a shield against the Delta variant of the pandemic coronavirus than two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, according to a large Israeli study that some say scientists wish came with a don't try this at home label, science reported Thursday. The newly released data show people who once had COVID were much less likely than vaccinated people to get Delta, develop symptoms from it, or become hospitalized with serious COVID-19. Now, now, now let, this article puts it another way. It says, vaccinated individuals were 27, 27 times more likely to get a symptomatic COVID infection than those with natural immunity from COVID. Now, what do we hear time and time again from these non-scientists, these science deniers? They say you've got to get the COVID vaccine because getting the COVID vaccine reduces symptoms, reduces the likelihood that you get, uh, you know, hospitalization. Now, it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. It's a vaccine. <laughs> the first vaccine in history that has a vaccine designation that doesn't create immunity. 
But they argue you got to get vaccinated because, well, it just it diminishes the symptoms. It keeps you from being hospitalized. Except this study reports that those who actually get COVID, while having a natural immunity, is actually doing what they're claiming the vaccine's supposed to do. And so this finding, of course, comes as so many governments around the world are demanding vaccine passports to travel. Australia, you have, you know, floating this idea of making higher vaccination rates a condition of lifting its lockdowns in certain jurisdictions. And you have Joe Biden considering making interstate travel unlawful for people who haven't been vaccinated. And so this points to the lies about vaccine passports. I mean, this article smart and points out not the least of which an argument against it is that freedom of movement is a basic human right. Of course it is. But in addition to that, even if you wanted to adopt all their stupidity, all their anti-American sentiment about these vaccine passports, well, it's even more senseless now because this Israeli study proves The natural immunity, if you've had COVID, is actually better than getting the vaccine to begin with. But the COVID folks are no different than the climate folks. Uh, They don't adopt real science. It's a political agenda. It's driven by, well... It's not driven by anything scientific. It's not driven by any rational thought. And so I just wanted to share that with you. This Harvard epidemiologist who says the case for COVID vaccine passports was just demolished. What else has been demolished, by the way? The January 6th insurrection narrative. I want to get into this to close out the program. I, as usual, I'm not going to make it to everything that I wanted to get to today because there's just too much going on. But um, I don't know if you saw the video. I watched the video today. Now, this is a video surveillance footage inside the Capitol building that shows open doors and people just walking through peacefully, meandering around like it is a museum exhibit. This is the fearful insurrection that Joe Biden claimed was the worst attack on democracy since the Civil War. That George Bush and others are saying is as bad or worse than 9-11, which is so preposterous. But anyway, the feds tried to fight the release of this video footage. And it's interesting. I want to point out a distinction. You know, when you have an individual, especially a black individual or minority, who is shot by police officers in a situation, even when that situation merits the response by the police officers, well, they demand immediate release of body cam footage. But in this case, with January 6th, they tried to hide the footage. Why would they do that? Well, we know the answer to that. It's a hypothetical question. Not a hypothetical question, a rhetorical question. I have to be perfect because I'm conservative. Rhetorical. But the federal government has been trying so hard to keep this surveillance footage under wraps. To keep it from being shown to the American public. And now we know why. A judge ordered, this is from Red State. A judge ordered the videos be released against the wishes of the government prosecutors who claim doing so would undermine national security. That doesn't make any sense, obviously. The only point is, is that the videos, what you see in them, runs counter to the narrative of the propagandist media in the Democratic Party. They compare this to the Civil War, of course, like I just said. Now, what you'll see in this video, if you haven't seen it yet, open doors, open windows, people are casually walking in. Like I said, the best way to imagine this is going into the Louvre. Walking around, looking at the Mona Lisa, looking at other paintings, and so on and so forth. It's a museum gallery, is what these people look like. There's no Mad Rush, per this article, because he is a good job describing it, so I'll use his words. Bonchi is the name of this writer at Red State. 
What you'll see is no mad rush, no violence, no weapons, and certainly no organized insurrection. Instead, people mingle, take selfies, and snap pictures of the surrounding architecture. It's trespassing at the worst. That's what this is. But as this writer points out, it's a far cry from the vast threat we've been assured was present that day. We've been told that these congressional members were scared for their lives, that they were going to be murdered. You have AOC lying, going on, uh, I don't know, whatever she uses, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, social media, saying she thought she was going to be raped. What a joke. What an affront to people who have actually been in situations or have been raped. And so, anyway... This whole time, we've been told all these things, and then we have video release, and it runs counter to the narrative, as we've known. Unfortunately, this won't change the minds of many indoctrinated Democrats out there who will simply not watch the footage. It won't be reported on by CNN. And so if CNN doesn't report it, well, you know, it didn't happen. So I actually want to close out with this. I was... Not to pat myself on the back, but just reality. I was the first to call. This stems back to Bill de Blasio. Uh, a long time ago, before Joe Biden announced, well, vaccine mandates and encouraged businesses to discriminate against the unvaccinated, well, Bill de Blasio in New York City, well, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, was the first uh, to start this trend, to start on this trajectory of a new era of discrimination. And I called this, uh, this effort, I, I, well, I, I said this. I said the unvaxxed are the new blacks. I wrote numerous articles about it. I said not only is this an abomination, not only is this a reversion back to a pre-1964 mentality in which we're discriminating against an entire swath of the population in which business owners now will be faced with the choice of, well, engaging in amoral behavior using the excuse that the government says it's okay. Well, I also said that the unvaxxed also happen to be blacks. And now Black Lives Matter has, uh, well, they seem to agree with me. They certainly did not listen to me or read my articles. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but nonetheless, they've arrived at the same conclusion as I did many months ago. Here's a headline from the Washington Examiner. Black Lives Matter of Greater New York Leader Blasts Vaccine Mandates as Racist and Disrespectful. No kidding. No kidding, brother. Exclusive. Black Lives Matter activists have turned on New York City's leadership over what they claim are racist COVID-19 vaccine requirements. Mayor Bill de Blasio has aggressively pushed a vaccine passport system that bars entry to restaurants, gyms, and other public places without proof of COVID-19 inoculation. But with black residents lagging the overall population in vaccinations, the rules are disproportionately affecting a minority group usually in step with Democratic policies. The schism came to a head on Monday when Black Lives Matter of Greater New York launched a protest outside a restaurant where enforcement of the policy sparked a melee. Well, don't get your hopes up because Black Lives Matter is still firmly ensconced as uh, the slaves of the Democratic Party. And I mean that truthfully. They have found themselves at odds with one policy, but are so far unable to associate the rest of the Democratic policies as anti-black and anti-minority. Nonetheless, Hawk Newsom is a black activist and co-founder of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. He founded the group with his sister, Chivona Newsom. Both siblings spoke at the Monday protest where Hawk accused the city of using vaccination requirements to run cover for its racist ways and discrimination. Now, Hawk Newsom, I would like to send a message to you. Um, 
While this is clearly an affront against black Americans, so are every other Democratic Party policy. Um, they oppose school choice. They encourage the abortion of black babies to keep your numbers trim. Uh, they get you on welfare programs and kneecap you so that you lose your desire. They create a victim mentality amongst minorities, blacks mainly, in these, um, how do I say this, hoods? To teach you that the white man's got you down, the Republicans got you down, that you cannot succeed without Democratic Party assistance and aid and welfare. Well, my friend, um, the only thing in the way of black Americans and success is the Democratic Party that you claim allegiance to. Now, Newsom spoke with the Washington Examiner, and he says, we are not anti-vaxxers. Some of us are vaccinated. It's an individual's choice. No one should be forced to put something in their body. That's what we conservatives are saying, uh, sir, Mr. Newsom, founder of the Black Lives Matter chapter at the greater New York City area, um, you need to detach yourself from the Democratic Party and the plantation that you have uh, put yourself in and come over to the conservative side because that's what we believe. We not only believe in an individual's choice to put something in their body, we also believe in an individual's choice to succeed, an individual's choice to get an education. It's the Democratic Party, and this is of the same cloth, it's the Democratic Party which opposes school choice, which wants to say that if you're born into the hood, you have to go to that crappy school that condemns blacks and minorities to slavery, essentially, because you're going to come out of this crappy school illiterate and without opportunity. And we conservatives are saying, no, if you're a black American stuck in one of these communities, in which I agree there's systemic racism, but it comes from the Democratic Party, well, I want you, and conservatives want you, to have a choice in your schooling. If you want to go to a private school, if you want to go to a better public school, if that's what you want for your child, if that's what you believe in, if that's what you want to push, well, we're on your side. We want you to get out of there. We want you to have opportunity. We want to end this vicious cycle in the black community. And the Democratic Party opposes that, including Barack Obama. By the way, Mr. Newsom... So anyway, the number of black residents in New York City who have not been vaccinated is drastically disproportionate to other racial groups. More than 70% of black people in New York City aged 18 to 44 have not gotten the injection, a statistic touted by Chavona at the Monday protest. Now, to get to the uh, depressing part of this, um, here we go. Here's what Newsom says. I'm a follower of Malcolm X. <laughs> Malcolm X didn't trust the Republicans, but he also didn't trust the Democrats. Okay. Except you go lockstep with the Democrats and vote for them, apart from this one issue. Mr. Newsom. He goes on. Do we agree with the right? No, he continued, adding that he cannot align with the GOP because he believes their platform is built around the oppression of black people. No, Mr. Newsom, the Democratic Party is um, fundamentally in support of oppression of black people. And everything you believe, Mr. Newsom, about the Democratic Party and the great switch that happened in which they became advocates of black rights is a lie and a joke. They are responsible for single-handedly, almost, the situation in America today of black people in poverty. Anyway... However, Newsom believes that black communities are being intentionally left out of discussions about vaccine hesitancy by left-wing politicians. He says, it fits a narrative to say crazy Trumpsters are the only ones who don't want to take the vaccine. Well, you're starting to see clearly, Newsom, and Black Lives Matter, I never thought I would ever support anything that was Black Lives Matter because, I mean, let's be realistic. The jokes on these people that are that are supporters of Black Lives Matter. Whites, blacks, everything in between, doesn't matter. They don't even understand that it's a communist Marxist organization. They don't understand what Marxist Marxism and communism is. But it's responsible for your situation in this country. 
And it's responsible for this discrimination that you're experiencing today. This is who the Democratic Party is. And it's, on the one hand, encouraging to see that you finally have found a realistic cause grounded in reality to fight, which is this overt discrimination by Democrats against black Americans and the unvaxxed. But at the same time, you still seem unwilling to go all the way to fundamentally transform your mentality to join the light, to join, well, rational thought, to finally confront the reality that the Democratic Party is no friend to blacks. But anyway, I've been saying that for months. I'm really happy that this Black Lives Matter individual, leader of the Greater New York chapter, blasts vaccine mandates, uh, but this is par for the course of the Democratic Party. Um, if you like the black community, if you want the black community to succeed, well, you got to turn your back on the Democrats. Not just the Democrats. I've got my problems with the rhinos in the Republican Party as well. Don't get me wrong. But conservatism is where your real allegiance should lie, Mr. Newsom. I never thought I'd see the day. Black Lives Matter would finally wake up and come around to what I've been predicting for months. The unvaxxed are the new blacks, and many of the unvaxxed happen to be blacks. And just like pre-1964, the Democrats are oppressing black people disproportionately. This is Drew Allen. I want to thank you for joining me on this Thursday. God bless you all. We've got a country to save. Until next time.